What is going on? You're listening to another edition of the SQ Sports Podcast. You're here today with just me, uh, Shane. I'm going to recap the NFL uh, college football weekends, uh, do a little World Series recap, um, and obviously end it with power rankings. I'm going to drop my first college football power rankings um, because they are going to be dropped tomorrow. Um, tomorrow is in Tuesday. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I'm going to keep it a little bit more concise today. I know these have been running a little long, but without further ado, let's get right into it. First thing, we got to hop right into it. Uh, the breaking news of the day, head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Hugh Jackson, and offensive coordinator Todd Haley have both been let go. Uh, not surprising. I think even all the way back starting with hard knocks, uh, if you watched, you could tell that it was going to be tough for these two to coexist together. I am a little bit surprised that both of them were let go. Um, I thought they should have gotten rid of Hugh. Played it out with Todd Haley and uh, just seeing how he how he did down the stretch, um, especially because you got Baker, the new quarterback, in there. I mean, if he develops a good relationship with him, you don't want to you don't want to let the OC go, uh, especially this early on in a young QB's career. Um, but it was time coming. Uh, Hugh Jackson had a record of three thirty six and one, which ranked him uh, minimum forty games. With the second to lowest, 218th out of 219 coaches in win percentage. And the guy who was last was, he like owned the Eagles back in the day. So obviously he was never going to fire himself. So Hugh Jackson, a historically bad coach. Um, actually pretty funny that he, uh, he kept his job this long. Um, smart move by John Dorsey to let him go. Like I said, I would have kept Todd Haley. That's just me. I don't really have a problem with him letting him go. Um, the Browns have lost the last three games. They haven't haven't been too close uh, this week against the Steelers. Really couldn't get anything going on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Baker Mayfield in the pocket. He does not look comfortable in the pocket. If you watch him, he's always moving his feet, which I guess is a good thing. But he he never. It's a good thing that 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 he's ready to ready to move when when you got a two hundred eighty pound guy bearing down on you. But you can't be all jumpy in the pocket. He seems like he wants to get rid of the ball way too quickly. You gotta let you gotta let things develop, which he hasn't been doing. Not to mention he hasn't really been throwing the throwing the ball too far downfield. Um, most of his completions are under twenty uh, yards. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens now that the two guys who are running the offense um, are out. I would expect. Um, Baker to go a little more scramble drill, play a little off script uh, when you don't have guys like Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley bearing down on you, but we'll see with that. Um, team they played, Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, finally getting back on track after a slow start. The Steelers have won three in a row ever since that loss on Sunday night to Baltimore. Speaking of Baltimore, they play Baltimore next week, and which will be a big game in the AFC North. Steelers currently sit at 4-2-1, the Ravens at 4-4. Four four. 
Le'Veon Bell thing is still a mess. Don't know if he's going to come back or not, but James Conner has been a suitable uh, fit in his place. He's averaging 4.8 yards per carry. Um, he shouldn't have proclivity to break off some big runs. It's not just, you know, give it to Conner and he's going to bust it up the middle four or four yards every time. He's shown that he can break off big runs. He's also shown to be an asset in the passing game. He caught five uh, passes for 66 yards this Sunday against the Browns. So two teams trending in completely opposite directions. I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns ended up with maximum four wins this season. Um, tough look for them all around after you saw them be really competitive in their first four games. Um, but really couldn't turn it into many wins. Um, bouncing through the NFL, Thursday night football seems like a millennial a millennium ago. Uh, the Texans, who are back on track, I believe they've won five in a row. Their last loss came to the New York Giants. Shout out. Um, they currently lead the AFC South, sitting at five and three. Deshaun Watson looks like a new new guy. Uh, it seems like he's fully comfortable off that ACL injury. Whereas at the beginning of the season, it looked like he didn't want to get hit as much. He wouldn't take as many risks, which I like him not taking as many risks. But if you're scared back there in the pocket, especially if you're a running quarterback, it's not going to bode well for you. Seems to have fully settled in as he threw for five touchdowns um, on Thursday night. The Dolphins are missing their signal caller, Ryan Tannehill. Um, they currently sit at 4-4. Four and four. It's going to be tough for them to compete for an AFC wild card spot if they don't get Tannehill back. I know Osweiler had that one win over the Bears. Since then, he hasn't looked very good. Tannehill is expected to return in the next couple of weeks, but the next couple of weeks, I know that's a very vague term. If the next couple of weeks is he's missing two more games and the Dolphins are 4-6, and six, then you're screwed. If he's coming back next week and you're 4-4 four and four with Tannehill, running the last eight in the season, then you're, then you're sitting prettier, I should say. So uh, that'll be a big storyline to watch for sure. Uh, Redskins, top of the Giants this weekend, 20-13. to 13. Redskins sit at 5-2. and two. They have a stronghold on the NFC East. Uh, Philadelphia is 4-4. Four and four. They trail them. Uh, I, I really like the Reds, what the Redskins and Jay Gruden are doing. They're relying on that defense, which is a really strong defense. Um, and then uh, they're giving it to Adrian Peterson, letting him pound it up the middle, running a lot of play action with Alex Smith, letting him bootleg around. You know Smith isn't going to turn the ball over. He's not going to make those big explosive plays down the field. But he's not going to turn the ball over. Um, I believe he only has two interceptions on the season. So if you can protect the ball and control time of possession, you're going you're gonna to find yourself winning a lot of games, um, especially against a team like the Giants who struggled all year long getting it going on uh, the offensive side of the ball. So Redskins, are a team to, they're a team to look out for. They're not flashy. They're not fun to watch, but they're going to put Ws up on the board. Um, the Eagles, who played in that early game over in London, topped the Jaguars. The Jaguars are just in an absolute tailspin right now. They sit at three and five um, ever since they started the season two and zero. Oh, um, so obviously since then they've been one and five. I remember week two when they beat the Patriots by eleven. People expected this Jaguars team to be the same as as they were last year. They definitely have not been the same as they were last year. Blake Bortles looks like a shell of himself. I'm a Blake Bortles guy. Um, their running game has been absolutely non-existent. It was terrible over in uh, Wembley. They brought in Carlos Hyde. He, he had six carries for just 11 yards. Um, they got behind early, so they, they kind of abandoned the run game. Blake Bortles was their leading rusher, eight carries, 43 yards. They had 70 yards as a team on the ground. That's not going to get it done. Oops, sorry. 
about that. It's not going to get it done, uh, especially against an Eagles team that was hungry for a win, uh, and they stepped up and played well. Carson Wentz. Uh, the notion that, that Carson Wentz is the problem for this Eagles team is, is should be thrown out the window. Uh, Wentz, look at the numbers. He played really well since he's came back. Um, they're suffering from a little bit of a Super Bowl, Super Bowl hangover, but the main thing is they, they have no running game, uh, and their defense, specifically their secondary, hasn't been as good as it was last season. So they got to clean a few things up, but I, I think they'll be around come January, currently sit at 4-4. Four and four. Uh, with eight games to play, I can see them going six and two down the stretch, making a making a push for the playoffs. Uh, the Chiefs added another win to their resume. They sit at seven and one. They beat the Broncos in what was another good game against Denver. Denver played them good um, twice this season, uh, but the Chiefs did win both of them. Uh, Patrick Mahomes did not have his best game. Uh, threw threw an interception that 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 really. Did not it, it didn't look, I can say, Patrick Mahomes-esque. He was just, no one was really in the vicinity. Just kind of hucked it when he was under pressure. Not something you like to see there, but I mean, he still had four touchdowns on uh, 300 through the air, so not a killer. Um, Chiefs are going to be just fine. The, the, the defense is slowly starting to figure, figure itself out. Um, they held the Broncos to just three, I guess just, but 380 yards on offense. Um, the secondary, which everyone was hating on at the beginning of the season has actually played well um, ever since that Patriots game. It's it's the uh, front seven that's been struggling. They've allowed an enormous amount of rush yards all season, specifically Phillip Lindsay um, and Royce Freeman, or Phillip Lindsay and Devontae Booker combined for over 175 yards. That can't happen. Um, those really aren't two explosive guys, so... They're going to have to rein that in, but, I mean, this offense reigns supreme. And, like I said, Patrick Mahomes is being Patrick Mahomes. He had that one mistake, but other than that, sitting pretty right now. Uh, the Seahawks, who are a team not only that I had written off at the start of the season, but they were a team that a couple weeks into the season I had them written off after they started 0-2. They're a sneaky team. They've changed their style of play. They're a, they're a, they're a pound-the-rock rushing team. Russell Wilson only attempted 17 passes on Sunday, which is how Pete Carroll wants it to go. Chris Carson had 25 carries for 105 yards. Um, if this team can con- control possession, work methodical eight-minute, 75-yard drives down the field, they're going to be sitting pretty. That's how they want to play. Um, a team that I really liked at the beginning of the season, Detroit, their defense has not, has not shown up. Stafford's Turned the ball over four times in the red zone this year. Um, yeah, Detroit's in a precarious spot at three and four right now. That NFC North is wide open though, as the Bears sit as the current leader at four and three. So Detroit's just going to have to win their in division games, but uh, not looking good on the defensive side of the ball for them. The only good thing is they did find a running back in the future and carry on Johnson. As I say that, he only had eight carries for twenty two yards on Sunday. Um, they were the Lions got down early, so you know Stafford was chucking it. Um, so they really never got Johnson in the mix, but he is a long-term solution for them at running back. It seems like Detroit's been looking for a running back for the past eight years, so uh, definitely a good sign for them. But yeah, the Seahawks are 4-3. and three. They sit behind the Rams, currently second in the division. I still am not a full believer in this team. I don't think they'll, they'll be a playoff team. I, I, I think that style of offense is, is tough. I mean, Chris Carson's a good player. But it's not like you have a 
you have an established running back that you know can go and get you 100, 100 yards a game on 20 carries. So I would watch watch for the Seahawks um, the next couple of weeks to see how they fare. Uh, they go, they're playing the Chargers at home, and then they travel to um, Los, I was gonna say St. Louis, Los Angeles to play the Rams, and they have the Packers at home, and then they travel to Carolina. That's a gauntlet of four games right there that I could honestly see them losing them all. So that takes a four and three team to a four and seven team. Um, I would say at best you're looking at two wins right there. So five and five. I mean, if they can get out of there, if they can get out of that stretch two and two and sit at six and five, I think you got to be happy as a Seahawks fan. You're giving yourself a chance to compete for a playoff spot uh, through the last five games of the season. Uh, Bengals and Bucks uh, in, in an NFL Sunday that didn't have uh, much drama, didn't have many good games. This game had it all. Uh, the Bengals took a huge lead early, which I always feel like, uh, I don't know about you, watching the red zone on Sunday, I feel like the Buccaneers always get de- go always get down early. And you're like, okay, you know, like the Bucks, they're going to like get blown out. Then they come back, they make it close, but – Matter of factly, they always lose at the end, which they did on Sunday. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick took over for Jameis Winston after he threw four interceptions. Fitzpatrick came in, led two touchdown drives and a two-point conversion that tied the game up at 34 with about 40 seconds left. Then, of course, you know Andy Dalton's going to lead him down, lead his team down the field in 35 seconds to kick a game-winning field goal. Like who, who, who doesn't think that? Uh, but shout out to Dalton. He got it done when it mattered most. Uh, the Bengals currently sit at five and three, so big win for them. You cannot blow that lead at home to the Bucks, uh, especially when you when you force four, four turnovers. Uh, this Bengals team has been an interesting case all season. I've had them in my power rankings before. Uh, you have to wait to the end of the show to see if they still are in there. Um, five and three is 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 a hell of a spot to be in right now, um, considering they haven't looked that great especially on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, the Bucks, what are you going to do about the Bucks? They have a lot of problems to work out. Will Dirk Cutter be there? Will he finish the season? Will he be there next year? Will James Winston be there next year? Ryan Fitzmagic was just named the starter a couple hours ago for week nine against Carolina. So that's an interesting dynamic. The guy that they thought their future, James Winston, obviously didn't start the season because of suspension, came back, played three games. Went one and two um, and didn't look good at all. He leads the league in interceptions with 10. And he's only played in three games. Absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't look like the Bucks want him as their guy for the future. However, we will see that as all things that will be worked out down the stretch. Fitzmagic is back in, though, so that'll be, that'll be fun to watch. Um, at three and four, the Bucks are going struggle to struggle to make some noise come, uh, coming down the stretch. But, but with Fitzmagic, one, you never know. And two, their, their schedule is pretty favorable over the next four weeks. They got the Panthers, which will be a big game, a uh, tough game. Then they got the Redskins, which will be another tough game. They get them at home, though. I think that's a good matchup for the Buccaneers. Bucks defense struggles against explosive offenses. But against a team like the Redskins, they should be able to contain them pretty well. And they got the Giants and 49ers. So uh, the Bucks, interesting four games coming up. Um, that'll be, be big in deciding whether they're competing for a playoff spot down the stretch. Uh, the Jets and the Bears also squared off. Another game that didn't have didn't have much action. The Bears topped them ten or twenty four to ten. Uh, Tariq Cohen had another long touchdown, seventy yard touchdown uh, catch. Um, 
I mean, Mitch Trubisky looked pretty good. He held on to the ball. He made a couple. He made a, he made a really nice throw to uh, Anthony Miller for a touchdown. Um, the rookie. But yeah, really, really no huge storylines out of this game. I guess the biggest storyline is the Jets' offensive line is god awful. Sam Darnold, um, especially down the stretch, he had there was about three. I think there was two or three plays in a row uh, when the Jets were trying to drive to get to get a touchdown to um, make it a one possession game. That Darnold just was literally forced out of the pocket within two seconds and had to throw the ball away. Um, not looking pretty, but that's not on him. So. At least he's not turning the ball over as much. He didn't turn it over at all in this game. Uh, but when you have an offensive line like that, one, it's, it's going to be hard for a young quarterback to get in a rhythm. And two, you're not going to be able to run the ball, something the Jets haven't been able to do the past couple of games. A lot of people are throwing the onus on Todd Bowles. I wouldn't do I would. I would, I would put most of the blame on the offensive line. Um, I know it's easy to, 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 to always blame uh, the Hogs up front, but... If you watch a Jets game, you're going to see Darnold has no time to do anything. He's making the most of it, and I do think as of now he uh, is showing the most promise out of the quarterbacks taken in the first round of the last year's draft. Uh, moving on to the Panthers and Ravens. What an impressive performance by the Panthers. This was a big game for both teams. Panthers came in at 4-2. and two, Ravens came in at 4-3. and three. Um, Cam Newton throwing himself in the MVP conversation. He finished 21 for 29. 219 yards and two touchdowns. I think this is exactly how the Panthers want to play. They want Newton. They don't want him to throw um, that many passes, and they don't want uh, him to throw many risky passes. Hold on to the ball. Run your RPOs. He had 10 carries for 52 yards. Get the ball out to your playmakers, uh, Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, um, DJ Moore. Get it in their hands. Let them make plays. This Carolina team is scary. They have one of the best front sevens. Uh, in the league. And I think what it's come down to for Carolina, like over the past five seasons, I would say is if Keekley and Cam are healthy and playing well, this is a really, really, really good team. If one of them's injured or both of them is injured or whatever, then this team struggles. But when you have the, two, when you have the leader of the offense, the leader of the defense, healthy, playing well, you're going to be a tough team to beat. And, and they showed that the Ravens showed some vulnerability in the secondary, um, they were they ranked as one of the, the top defenses in pretty much every statistical category, points per game, yards per game, pass yards per game, rush yards per game. I think they were in the top three in all of them. Uh, the Panthers came out and, and, and took it to them, uh, 400 total yards of offense. Like I said, no turnovers for the Ravens. Uh, Joe Flacco struggled. He threw two picks, couldn't really get in a rhythm, was not helped out by the run game. Um, yeah, I mean, impressive win by the Panthers. They... Currently sit at second in the NFC South. That's because the Saints only have one loss on the on the year. So uh, when those two match up, which I believe they have two December games. Let me check it real quick. Yep, they play uh, Week 15 in Carolina, Monday Night Football, December 17th, and Week 17 in uh, the in New Orleans, um, December 30th. So those two games are very very well. Like God, I'm stumbling over my words. I can't talk today. They will very likely decide the winner of this division. I think both teams um, have a chance to go and make a deep run in the playoffs. Um, speaking of the Saints, was transition over that game Sunday Night Football. Saints defense is 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 taking a 
180 since the beginning of the season. Ever since that Giants game, when they allowed just 18 points, uh, they they've they've looked great. Uh, the secondary, Marshawn Lattimore, who struggled early on, stiff specifically in Week One, he got thrown on for like over 200 yards. Um, he's been playing like he did last season. Crowley is also looking good in the secondary. Um, that guy out of who the D lineman out of UTEP, I believe that they drafted Marcus Davenport. He's been a beast. Uh, definitely a good look for the Saints. They knew they wanted him. They traded up for him, and, he, and he's been a good fit. And he's played well for them this season. Yeah, they've given up uh, 18, 19, 23, and 20 points over the last four games, something that you would have been hard-pressed to have me believe if you told me that after the first three weeks of the season. Um, not to mention, Drew Brees had his worst game of the season by far, um, which is, is all, it's, it's, it's all relative. Because Breeze only threw for 120 yards, and he had an interception. But he was 18 for 23. He really didn't throw that much. They really didn't push the ball down the field. Um, And I think that was kind of the game plan. Uh, They were helped by a pick six, so the offense uh, didn't didn't do all the scoring. But I think that was the game plan from the beginning, try to slow this one down with Ingram and uh, Kamara. Um, But yeah, Breeze didn't. That's kind of the scary thing in my mind. Breeze didn't have a like a great game. I would call it an average game. Breeze had an average game, and the Saints still beat the Vikings by two possessions. And I see the Vikings as maybe the third or fourth best team in the NFC. Behind the Rams and the Saints and the Panthers, I would put the Vikings at four in the NFC. So that's a scary thought. Uh, that just shows you how the Saints are rolling right now. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really more to say about the Saints. I think they're going to be a major factor come January, whether they win the division or not. So, a um, couple more games to talk about. We had the Colts and the Raiders. Uh, Adam Vinatieri became the all-time leading points scorer uh, over Morton Anderson. I, I think he's like 45 now, Vinatieri is. Um, give that man a gold jacket directly when he steps off the field. He's made so many clutch kicks from the snowballs, Super Bowls, uh, Terry's a legend of the game. I think an, I think an underrated um, – so the Colts did win this game 42-28. Uh, the Raiders dropped to 1-7 and seven, uh, with the Giants. Um, underrated this season, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck's been quietly having a great, uh, great year. He's, he's, got, he's thrown for 2,200 yards in eight games. He's completing, completing the ball at about a 66% clip. Got 23 touchdowns to just eight interceptions. His QB rating at 96.2 um, ranks in the upper echelon of the league. So, I mean, Luck's having a great season, and I I expected this. I think a lot of people were doubting him off the injury, which I don't know why. I understand it the injury, his shoulder injury was a whole lot of hoopla. You didn't really know what was going on. Like, wow, he can't even throw a Nerf ball. How the how the hell is he gonna like? How the hell is he going to throw an NFL ball when you got people bearing down on you? But Andrew Luck's Andrew Luck. He figured it out, and he'll continue to figure it out. Uh, right now, the Colts sit at 3-5. and five. This AFC South, it's, it's, I, I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you what's going to happen. I mean, the Texans have reeled off five in a row, and they look good. But I'm not a believer in the Texans. I'm not putting my money on the Texans to win this division. You got the Texans at five and three, then you got the Titans at three and four, and then you got Jacksonville and India at three and five. 
if you told me you could tell me any one of those teams is, is going to win the AFC South, then I I would believe you. Um, I can see this going any way. Um, big, big, big for the Colts. Uh, their third round draft pick from two years ago from the nine four one. Shout out Marlon Mack. Um, balling out, absolutely balling out. He was injured at the be- beginning of the season, but he's since played the last four games and in the last three. I'll read you his numbers over the last three games against the Jets. He had 12 carries for 89 yards. Against the Bills, he had 19 carries for 126 yards and a touchdown. And against the Raiders this week, he had 25 carries for 132 yards and two touchdowns. The Colts line is still a work in progress. And to help out a guy like Andrew Luck, who's just been getting berated over the past four years of his career because of that O-line, you need a running game to balance it out, which he hasn't had. Not going to hate on the legend Frank Gore, but he doesn't have the legs like he did before, and he wasn't doing it uh, the past couple of years. Marlon Mack, his explosiveness, his shiftiness, he looks like he could be the guy uh, for the Colts for years to come. Uh, finally, uh, touch on the Packers and Rams game. I know betters across America. Before we even talk about – so the Rams won 29-27. I'll get into the, uh, the, the betting thing real quick. Um, the total on the game was 57 and a half. The Rams had the ball. They were running out the clock. They're up two. Todd Gurley breaks free, and he could have scored a touchdown. There was about 30 seconds left. If you score a touchdown and you miss an extra point, I get I get it. You're only up eight. But, I mean, you got Greg the legs in the line. He's probably going to nail the extra point. Put it this way. It was a smart football move by Gurley. He went down at the two-yard line, kept the game a two-point game instead of one making it a nine-point game, which would have covered the Rams' seven-and-a-half spread, and two, making it a nine-point game with the score of um, 38 or 36-27, which would have hit the over, which the over was 57-and-a-half, or that was the line. So tough all around. Obviously, Twitter exploded um, off that. Uh, I didn't bet the game. I would have taken the Packers, so I, I don't think you can give Aaron not well, In hindsight, I say that, but I seriously think I would have taken the Packers. So I would have probably bet the over, though. So unfortunate, unfortunate for gamblers. It happens though. Bad beats happen every single week. Uh, if you're not a gambler, then you don't realize them. But if you are, then you have major Sunday scaries. Uh, but no, to get to the actual game, um, the Rams dominate. Do I want to say dominated? I mean, the Rams looked like the better team throughout the whole game, and the fact that it was about to come down to the end well, was pretty crazy. I mean, the Rams had a 23-13 uh, lead, and they it was pretty much like domination. Aaron Rodgers hadn't looked good at all. Uh, then, of course, right after they take that 23-13 lead, Rodgers comes down, scores a touchdown. Um, it gets to a point where it's 26-20 L.A., and then Rodgers scores a touchdown to take the lead 27-26. Fast forward a couple possessions. The Rams kick a field goal with about uh, a minute and a half left to take the lead by two. And uh uh-oh. The Rams are kicking it back to the Packers, only up to Aaron Rodgers got the ball. It's basically a surefire win for the Packers. I mean, all you got to do, like Aaron Rodgers is coming on the field, and we've seen what he can do over the past decade, let alone this season. So um, he's the master of the two-minute drill. He's the master of leading comebacks. Unfortunately, Ty Montgomery took the kickoff out of the end zone and fumbled on the Packers' own 20-yard line. Rodgers did not get to touch the field, and the Todd Gurley running the ball out ensued. 
it's got to be tough for Packers fans because you have to feel like if Aaron Rodgers steps on that field, it's game over. I don't understand why Montgomery's bringing the ball out. He, he, he caught it five yards deep, and you saw he only took it to like the 19, 20-yard line. Um, so he wasn't getting anywhere near the 25. You got to knee it there, and you got to let 12 get on the field, man. Ty Montgomery, I don't understand that unless unless they told him on the sidelines, like, return this, like, you got this anywhere in the end zone, take it out, it's all you. Unless that was vocalized to him, I, I have no idea why um, he would have taken that out. He cost cost the Packers, uh, I'm not going to say a win, but a really good chance to win. Um, yeah, so Packers ended up losing by two, and they currently sit at 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. They're going to have to dig themselves out a little bit of a hole if they want to uh, make the playoffs. The only good thing for them is their division isn't looking isn't looking too sharp right now. The Bears sit at four and three, and you got the Vikings at four, three, and one. So, um, yeah, I mean that was pretty much pretty much all all there all there was in the NFL slate. Like I said, it wasn't a great weekend. If you did watch, um, not many great games. That Packers Rams game and the Bucks Bengals game were probably the two best uh, finishes. Other than that, really, really no, no action towards the end. Um, so I'm going to quickly switch gears to college football. Um, also a kind of down weekend. Not many, not many exciting games here either. Uh, Alabama was on the bye. Notre Dame was on the bye. LSU was on the bye. We had number two Clemson though. They played, uh, they traveled to Tallahassee to take on Florida State. I know Florida State's been a dumpster fire this season, but I thought, uh, they're going to have a chance to maybe not only cover, but maybe uh, pull off the upset with a guy like Francois, who's, who's, Got all the talent in the world. Um, you, you never count other Seminoles out, but unfortunately, I guess not unfortunately, um, they got fucking demolished. They got fucking demolished. It was, it was laugh out loud funny. Um, I, <laughs> I honestly didn't even watch the first half um, of this game. I was, I was sleeping. Sorry, but the first quarter was close. Um, it was zero zero until um, until early in the second quarter when Clemson scored their first touchdown. Florida State ended the half with five straight three and outs, and Clemson ended the half with four, not with four straight, but Clemson had four touchdowns to end the half in the second quarter. Florida State had five three and outs, not a good look. Uh, and Clemson just continued to roll. They had a fifty nine to three lead at one point, ended up winning it fifty nine to ten. Francois didn't look good at all. Uh, turned the ball over a couple times. Trevor Lawrence, on the other hand, he did look good. He had a couple couple uh, deep passes um, that showed why this guy was the most highly touted player coming out of his class. He's got the size, he's got the stature, and he throws a beautiful ball. He was only 20 for 37, but he did have 314 yards, four touchdowns, and no turnovers. Um, yeah, uh, this Clemson team, their, their D-line is unmatched. Um, them and LSU have by far the two best D-line in the country, in my opinion. And, I mean, ever since that Syracuse game, they've just gone out and clobbered uh, FSU and NC State. So um, I think I think the notion that – I know the ACC is really weak this year, and Clemson is going to finish 13-0 uh, and, and and probably be the second-ranked team in the country heading into the college football playoff. Um they're going to be a force to reckon with. It's not just because the ACC is weak. They're starting to crush people. They're starting to put do what Alabama's doing to teams. Uh, 
So if you're a Clemson fan, you got to love to see that. Um, probably the biggest game of the weekend was uh, Jacksonville, Florida, number seven, Georgia versus number nine, uh, Florida Gators. I didn't think this game was going to be very close, um, and, it, and it wasn't. Georgia ended up winning 36-17. Felipe Franks is, is, is not the answer for Florida. Um, I don't. I don't understand unless you don't have confidence in their backup Emory Jones. I just don't understand why he's not playing over Franks. Um, Franks can't make any throw, dude. Like he he made he had one he had one great throw, and it it, it showed you why he was so highly highly touted out of high school. One great throw for a touchdown, about thirty five yard strike right at the scene, beat the safety, um, and that honestly I was like whoa like. Like I, I had never seen that from Felipe Franks, but of course, he only made one of those throws throughout the whole game. Um, Florida, Florida wraps up the the schedule uh, with Missouri, South Carolina, Idaho, and FSU. So this team could easily finish ten and two, um, which is pretty crazy. Having a quarterback like Franks and finishing ten and two that shows you how good their defense is and how good their rushing attack has been. Um, Pirine, who Samaje Pirine's brother, what's uh, what's his first name? Uh, Lamichael, Lamichael Pirine. Um, he's looked great, and Jordan Scarlett's looked great. Uh, that rushing ga- rushing attack and O line are two of the better in uh, the country. So Florida can hang the hat on that. Um, if you didn't if you didn't see their D line though, uh, they turned the ball over at the one yard line and they stopped Georgia on six consecutive plays at the one. So, I mean, that goes to show you just how dominant this D-line uh, was. Jake Fromm finally had, had, a, had a really good game. I mean, he was super efficient, 17 for 24, 240 and three touchdowns. Made a couple great uh, touchdown throws, including one corner out on third down. That was a big game changer uh, or, uh, in the third quarter. Um, and DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield combined for 175 yards on the ground. They're one of the best one-two punches in the country, I know people have made a lot of Georgia losing two top 40 picks and Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb at the running back position. DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield have filled that role perfectly. Um, Georgia has got a game against Kentucky this upcoming weekend, which will dis- most likely decide the, who represents the SEC East. I think Georgia's going to cruise. I mean, Kentucky should have lost to Vanderbilt. That was, that was garbage, if any of you were watching that. Um, terrible game. I think Georgia is going to absolutely blow them out. The line's at nine and a half right now. It is in Kentucky, which is somewhat worrisome. But I mean, Kentucky's not like a super hard place to play. So I think Georgia's going to go in there, win by three touchdowns, and they're they're gonna they're gonna find themselves in the SEC championship against most likely Alabama. That's um, what I think. Uh, Iowa, Penn State. Um, was another top 25 game. You had seven, 17th ranked Nittany Lions pull out one against the Hawkeyes. The Hawkeyes still technically had a shot at college football playoff as they sat at 6-1, and one, so uh, if they won out. But their quarterback, uh, Nick Stanley, <laughs> that was absolutely garbage. Granted, it was super rainy. Um, it, 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 Trace McSorley couldn't get it going through the air either. Uh, Penn State, just their defense ultimately, ultimately won out. Uh, they forced one more turnover than Iowa State, which was the difference in that ball game. Um, I think both teams, they're, they're your classic Big Ten teams, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, play action. Um, 
But yeah, uh, the the you you they're gonna finish both with probably three win three losses. They both currently sit at six and two. Uh, but that, it was it was a, it was a pretty intriguing game to watch. Um, you had a Pac-12 showdown between Washington State and Stanford and Wazoo. The comeback kids, uh, they were down 28-17 at the half. Ended up winning it 41-38. Uh, uh, their quarterback, uh, Gardner Minshew, Minshaw, however you say it, he's been slinging it all year. He should be in the Heisman conversation. Um, he's averaging over. He's averaging like 400 yards per game through the air. He had 438 for three touchdowns and zero picks against Stanford. Uh, Washington State has that big game, the Apple Cup against Washington. Um, I think that's towards the end of the season. Yeah, looking at their schedule, they got Cal, Colorado, Arizona, and then Washington. Washington State has a viable chance to win out here. Um, that Apple Cup game has always given them problems. They have not won as of late. But, I mean, with Gardner Minshew, you never know. That man can that man can sling it. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, we had my Texas Longhorns going down to Oklahoma State. Um, a lot of things I can say about that. Uh, we outplayed them. I mean, you're always going to say that. It, we did. Um... For those, we so uh, two starting um, two starting cornerbacks, Devontae Davis and Chris Boyd, seniors, uh, arguably the two best cornerbacks on the team. I would say I would say unarguably the two best cornerbacks on the team. They were suspended for the whole first quarter uh, for being late to a team meeting. In the first quarter, uh, the Oklahoma State put up seventeen points. They put up 260 yards of offense, which was the second most Texas has given up in the last 15 years in a quarter. And it was just tough, tough to overcome that deficit. Um, even when they, 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 even when Devontae Davis and Chris Boyd got into the game in the second quarter, took took them a little time to get adjusted. We were down 31-14 at half, um, and we dominated the second half. Uh, 38-35 final. It was one of those games, if we had one more possession, we would have won it. Unfortunately, the defense could not come up clutch at the end, and Oklahoma State ran out the clock. Third and six, uh, their quarterback scrambled for eight yards. Uh, yeah, I mean, tough loss. Put it this way, I, I knew it was going to be a trap game, but, but we outplayed them. That's what makes me mad. We outplayed them, and we put ourselves in a position to win that game. And I know you got to set a standard in the program, but I you got I don't like I don't I, I I mean it's so easy to come back and say this now that we gave up 260 yards in the first quarter. And I know you got to set a standard for your program, but I don't like suspending suspending people for like during like make them do ba- extra bear crawls at practice, make them run whatever whatever you want to do in that form of punishment. I'm all for it. Don't don't take don't don't let other guys suffer because two guys were late to a team meeting. Um, I I do not I don't like that from Tom Herman. I do understand he has to set a standard, but then again, I know hindsight's a bitch, but whatever. We 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 dominated that game. No, we didn't dominate that game. We outplayed them in that game. Homecoming in Stillwater is always a hard a hard. Uh, 
always a hard um, place. Stillwater is always a hard place to play. You add homecoming on top of that, makes it ten times as harder. It's their first sellout of the season. Um, they were riled up to play, and like I said, they put up 17 in the first quarter, put up 260 yards in the first quarter. You had a true freshman and a redshirt freshman, Jalen Green and Anthony Cook, that barely get snaps, and they were playing um, all in the first quarter, and they were getting beat. They were getting beat bad. Uh, but after that after that rough start, we, I mean, we came back and outscored them in the second half, 21-7. to Like I said, we had one more possession. That was our game. Um, it hurts because it takes us out of the college football playoff talk. Then again, if you if you told me at the beginning of the season, through eight games you'd be six and two, and you'd be sitting at the top of the Big Twelve, I would say, give me that ten times out of ten. But it just hurts because you're sitting there at number six in the country, and you had a re- had a real good chance to win this game. Sam Ellinger didn't play his best. But you didn't turn the ball over. You made some clutch throws. And now you got a big game against West Virginia next week because if you drop that, you go to 6-3 and three, and then you travel to Lubbock, you could be staring 6-4 and four down the motherfucking barrel. And if we drop to 6-4, and four, that all hell is going to break loose. All hell will break loose. Need this game against West Virginia. We win this game against West Virginia because – at the beginning of the season, Tom, uh, because, I mean, obviously it's crazy. It's crazy. It's As a Texas fan, um, it's crazy. We struggled so much for the past decade. Haven't won more than eight games uh, since Colt McCoy in 2009. And then you win some games, and you're, you're sitting at number six in the country, and you're in the college football playoff mix. Um, even after losing to Maryland to start the season, but the goal for this team from the beginning of the season, from Herman, the goal from the locker room was win a Big 12 championship. Win a Big 12 championship. That goal is still ahead of you. These next two weeks will be huge. Will be absolutely huge. Um, West Virginia is coming to Austin. But Will Greer has been on a tear lately ever since they lost that game to Iowa State. But if we can win this game... You knock West Virginia down to two losses in the Big 12, and you got the head-to-head over West Virginia and Oklahoma. A win on Saturday, basically, unless you really choke down the stretch, basically guarantees you a chance in that Big 12 title game. And that's all we're fucking looking for. We're looking for a chance. We're looking for a chance to play the Sooners again. We're looking for a chance to shove it down their throats two times in a season. I, I, that's all I can say. I mean, I, I, I December 1st. December 1st, let me play Oklahoma. Let me see Kyler Murray again. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to be fucking ready for that game. But you cannot overlook these next two weeks. So uh, that's all I'm going to say. Next week's a big one. Next week's a big one for the Horns. I'm going to do a quick, uh, my because co- in honor of the college football uh, playoff rankings coming out for the first time on uh, Tuesday. So tomorrow or today, whenever you listen to this, to come out on Tuesday. I'm going to do my college football playoff rankings as I believe um, I see fit. So right now, uh, at number 10, I am going to put the uh, UCF Golden Knights. I mean, they have no shot at, at making the college football playoff. Um, what's it? Uh, McKenzie. McKenzie's a great quarterback. I, I think he could be successful um, against good defenses. Uh, but... 
I mean, UCF's just strength of schedule is ridiculous. Strength of record is even more ridiculous. Top 25 team strength of record, 127th in the nation. That's that's crazy. Um, yeah, I got UCF at number uh, 10. Uh, number 9, give me the Washington State Huskies. Like I just said, Gardner Minshew should be in the Heisman conversation. He's a straight baller. This team is 7-1. and one. They've picked up huge wins over the past two weeks over Washington State and Stanford. They had a big win against Utah earlier in the season. Their only loss came to USC, a 36-39 game, and one that they blew, one that they're definitely asking back for now. But believe me, every team in the country is asking for a game back now. So uh, Washington State coming in at number 9. Number 8, I will have the Ohio State Buckeyes. For obvious reasons, this team is one of the most talented teams in the country. But they had that terrible loss to Purdue. I know Purdue's a decent squad this year, but they started running up to score late, 49-20. to Not a good look at all. Ohio State does still, I think, control their own destiny if they win out um, with wins over Michigan and then wins in the Big 12, Big 10 against the Big 10 West. I think they'll be right there, though I could see them being left out for a second SEC team, though that's farther away than uh, that's far away. So Ohio State number eight. Number seven, I'll take the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, they ran over Kansas State last week. Currently sit at 7-1 with their only loss to Texas. Um, I think this team's really good. Their defense struggles, but their offense, Kyler Murray is an animal. He is really good. He's not He's not even that hateable. I don't hate him that much. I hate him, but not like too much. Um, and, yeah, that offense is looking great. Um, Rodney Anderson got injured. Whoever their new running back is, I'm blanking on his name, but he's filled in perfectly. So I don't know if he's also really good like Rodney Anderson is or if that's just schemes. If you throw in anyone, they're going to rush for 150 yards, but uh, Oklahoma at number seven. Number six, I will take the Michigan Wolverines. Um, they had that loss to Notre Dame, but since have reeled off seven wins, including an impressive beatdown of Wisconsin and a win over Michigan State. Um, they still have Penn State and Ohio State on the schedule, as well as a Big Ten championship game. If they can win out, I'm, I, I'm, they're guaranteed a spot in the playoffs. If Michigan State finishes one loss in a Big Ten championship, they will be in the playoffs. Why it is not for certain for Ohio State is because I could see the committee putting in a two-loss at or like a two-loss SEC team like LSU, or if LSU has one loss, or if LSU ends up beating Bama and Bama has one loss, I think they'd be in over Ohio State. Because Michigan, if they went out, their only loss would be to Notre Dame, a team that is, if not the, if they're not in the college football playoffs, that means they slipped up down the stretch, and they're still a great team that we've seen. So, um, yeah, got Michigan at number six. Number five, I got the Georgia Bulldogs. Um Georgia had that loss at LSU. It wasn't pretty. Jake Fromm didn't play well, but he bounced back with a big win against Florida. Like I said, he played really well. That uh, one-two punch of Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Swift, one of the better one-two punches in the nation. Um, and their lines on both sides of the ball are dominant. Uh, I think this DeAndre Baker, also cornerback number 18 on the outside. Next time Georgia plays, try to watch him. They will never throw Baker's way. Uh, he's a lockdown corner, one of the best in the nation. Should be a top 10 pick in this upcoming draft. Yep, Georgia at number five. Got LSU at number four, only loss of the season. Okay, who did LSU lose to? Why am I blanking on that? Oh, Florida. That's to Florida. 
Uh, fluky lost to uh, Fluky, whatever. Give Florida some credit, man. But no, nah, LSU at number four. I don't really, I still don't believe in Joe Burrow, but that defensive line is so damn dominant. Um, I do think I, I think they're gonna get run out of the building by Alabama. Currently sits at a nine and a half point spread, but I honestly think Alabama is going to run them out of the building. Um, we we'll see though, we'll see. Uh, so I got them at four, uh, three. Give me Notre Dame, eight and zero. I like what they're doing. Ian Book has been playing good. Their last four games of the season. Yeah, I got Syracuse, Florida State, Northwestern, and USC. I believe. They're, those are all like games where they could trip up, but I mean they shouldn't. I didn't like Notre Dame early on because they were beating these terrible teams by like less than a touchdown. But I mean they've gotten to eight and zero, so you got to give them credit. Um, I do. I do not think they're as dominant as I don't think they're anywhere near as dominant as the top two teams in the country. Uh, like I said, Ball State won by eight. Notre uh, Vanderbilt won by five. Um, but then they did have those two. Impressive wins over Stanford and Virginia Tech. Uh, Pitt only won by five. You, you get my gist. I could, not easily, but Northwestern, their schedule, their remaining schedule, at Northwestern, at home against FSU, at home against Syracuse, at USC. I could see them slipping in one of those games. And the these those teams I listed nine through five, nine through six, nine through five need Notre Dame to slip if they're trying to uh, insert themselves into the CFP. Um, do I think it will happen? No, but could I see it happening? Yes. Uh, number two, I have Clemson. Uh, after that scare against Syracuse, they've looked dominant um, outside of that. Trevor Lawrence obviously is now the guy. Uh, he, he looked great. They beat up on FSU, beat up on Clemson, beat up on Wake Forest um, in the past three weeks. Let me add this up in my head real quick. Six. Uh, it's 163-20 to 20 in their last three games. They've outscored their opponents 163-20. to 20. And keep in mind that's against three ACC opponents. So ACC, get your shit together. Uh, and obviously Alabama's at number one. The notion that Alabama hasn't played anyone is fucking bullshit. Like... Use your damn eyes, okay? Don't like. I understand they haven't had the best of competition this season, um, but use your eyes. I mean, they're just crushing everyone. No one's been in the closest game this season was a twenty-two point game against Texas A&M. No one's been anywhere near this team after even after one quarter, which you've Alabama has had the package secured. Um, I did go on my Nick Saban rant last weekend, or last podcast, uh, last Monday, about how he sets his schedule up perfectly. Um, I mean, he does, but whatever. They're going to go out and dominate people. They have LSU. They're minus – oh, Georgia's minus nine and a half. Alabama's right now a two-touchdown favorite over LSU. I'll give me, give me, give me Alabama still on that. Um, The only way LSU wins that game is if – their front seven can wreak as much havoc. Like they need to be like all over the field at all times. Um, Two has looked freaking phenomenal. He hasn't attempted a pass in the fourth quarter. Uh, Alabama finishes up with uh, at LSU at home against Mississippi State. Even though Mississippi State's ranked, that game will be absolutely no problem. Mississippi State probably will score less than ten points. The Citadel and then Auburn. Uh, Auburn's offensive line can't block anyone, so. 
I see Alabama cruising to a 12 and 0 record, and I do see them maybe having some trouble if they're if they end up going against Georgia in the SEC title game. Uh, but I don't know. It's gonna. I think the I think the only team that that's that's gonna be able to uh, stop this Crimson Tide offense would be Clemson. So. So there you have it. Those are my college football playoff uh, rankings. I don't think they're going to be too far off from what's actually going to go down. Um, one major switch, not major, but one little mix or uh, switch up that I could see the actual um, rankings having is Notre Dame at number two, just because they've had more quality wins than Clemson. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think it's going to be relatively around what I predicted. Um, quick World Series wrap up: uh, Red Sox. Won um, five games. Two things. One, David Price, dude, like, you're a bum. Um, I don't really care what people say. Uh, you're a bum. Like, just because you, you ran into two two starts in a row that you pitched well doesn't mean you're a good postseason pitcher. Um, I'm still I'm, I'm, The haters are, are still going to be in your mentions, and rightfully so. Uh, you're soft. You're soft as a cupcake. Like, I don't, I don't like, he tweeted out something. I don't even want to look it up, but I will look it up. Um, and it's just like, dude, shut up. Like, you, the off, you, you, the Red Sox offense won them this World Series. Um, also, let me find this tweet first. All right, David Price tweeted. He tweeted out the shush emoji four times, dot, 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 hashtag, I hold the cards now. Even, even first reply, even the even the Red Sox fans. Red Sox fan is the first reply. He said, "Thanks for the championship. Now leave." <laughs> like that. If that doesn't show you, David Price, that no one likes you and no one wants you, like, come on, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm obviously I'm a Yankees fan, so I'm a Red Sox hater. Uh, the fact that people are trying to say this is a dynasty. You've won, what, four World Series in the past 14 years? Like, how the fuck is that a dynasty? Four, you want to compare it to... There's no one from the 20, 2004 team that is on this 2018 team. I wonder if there's even anyone from the 2007 team that's on this 2018 team. I guess it's probably not. Dustin Pedroia? He was, I think he won... No, he won Rookie of the Year in, I think, 2009. I don't fucking know. But even if Pedroia was, he won't even play this postseason. And whatever. I don't want to get on this Red Sox tangent. Um... Game Game Four was obviously a huge turning point. That series is over after 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 when Puig hit that hit that. I don't know if if you guys aren't baseball fans, didn't watch the series was it was the Red Sox won the first two games of the series, um, it, it, somewhat handily. Um, third game was an eighteen inning game, back and forth. The Dodgers squeaked it out. So then Game Four in L.A., Dodgers are up one zero. Yasiel Puig hits a three run home run. Um, to take a 4-0 lead, and then the Dodgers end up blowing that, and so obviously they went down 3-1. When they blew that, you, it's over. You might as well give them the, the, the um, let, let them hoist a trophy right then and there because no, you're not coming back 3-1 after you just blew a 4-0 lead. I think the funniest thing of this whole World Series is Eduardo Rodriguez. What a motherfucking clown. I'll tweet this video out um, on SQ Sports underscore, SQ underscore sports on Twitter. Follow if you don't. What is what a baby, dude! When Puig hit that home run, he Eduardo Rodriguez should not even be given a fucking ring, dude. 
He shouldn't have been able to celebrate. He should not be able to ride the duck boats. Um, get him out of here, man. Puig hit the home run. Eduardo Rodriguez looked like he started crying on the mound, slammed his, like, took his glove off his hand and slammed it on the ground. The only thing I can, I can, uh, I can relate it to is, I mean, you, we've all played uh, t-ball, little league baseball. It's like that one kid that who always gets so emo, like he'll ground out and he'll like come back to the dugout with like tears in his eyes, or he'll like strike out and he's slamming his bat on the ground. And the coach has gotta always talk to this kid like, hey man, like it'll it'll be okay, like, but you can't be doing that. Eduardo Rodriguez literally looked like an eight-year-old out on the mound. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, but I mean, you know, that's Red Sox. That, that's, that's what'll happen if you're a Red Sox. So, I mean, whatever. I mean, congrats to them. Uh, I still think the Yankees could have easily won that, won that series. Um, of course the Red Sox bullpen, which has been shite all year, steps up in the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, like Joe Kelly, you suck normally and you just go out there, like just pitch a gem after gem after gem and the Dodgers, especially specifically Ryan Madsen. Their bullpen was absolutely awful. So, whatever. Uh, congrats to the Red Sox. Uh, we'll see you next season. That is for fucking sure. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all I got. I'm going to wrap up with a quick NFL power rankings. I said I was going to breeze through this. I don't know how long we've gone, but whatever. Uh, anyway, finish it up with the power rankings. Um, at number 10, got the Chicago Bears. Currently sit at 4-3. and three. Um Matt Nagy, I like what he's doing with the offense. He's letting Trubisky, like he's he's putting Trubisky in places where he can succeed, rolling him out, getting him on the move, um, throwing little check downs. He's not making Trubisky make all the reads, uh, which is good. And that defense is dominant even without Khalil Mack, who's been out with an injury, foot injury. Shouldn't is not too serious though. Uh, yeah, I get the Chicago Bears number ten, Washington Redskins uh, number nine. Currently sit at five and two. They're good, man. They're good. They play a style of ball similar to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, they're going to play great defense, and they're going to run it down your throat, and they're going to hit you with play action. They're going to have one big play a game, and it's going to be a backbreaker. Uh, I do like this Redskins team. I think right now, I mean, they they they, they definitely are the favorites in the NFC East. Uh, as the Eagles set at 4-4. Four and four, so. uh, Number 8, got the Pittsburgh Steelers. I believe this is the – I don't know if they are in the rankings last week. I think it's it's – I think it's the first time they've been in the rankings since week two. Um, but Steelers are back after a rough start. Uh, currently set up 5-2-1. I mean, yeah, James Conner, he's not Le'Veon Bell, but he's getting the job done. Um, Big Ben, as long as he – I mean, if Big Ben doesn't turn over the ball, they're fine. Uh, you got explosive playmakers in Juju, Smith-Schuster, and Antonio Brown. So as long as Ben doesn't play like a dumbass like he sometimes does – um, you're fine. Uh, that thing against the Browns is so funny. If you didn't see it, I I didn't address this, but <laughs> um, the Steelers got a safety, so the Browns had to like punt it away, and the Steelers re- returned men Ryan Switzer and Antonio Brown, like let the ball bounce and like let it roll. Like like a normal punt, you know. Like you don't have to if you don't catch a normal punt, blah blah blah. You can um, like obviously the other team gets it. That's where he gets the ball. But when it's off a of safety, a punt is like a kickoff. So if the other team gets the ball, 
Like, it's their ball. They just let the ball roll, and the Browns got it. The Browns hopped on it. That's, I think that's just – that's uh, – I think people up in the – up in the what do you call that uh, area? Like, the Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana area. I think they've just been hit, dropped too many times in their heads and they're a baby because, yeah, Mike Tomlin had no idea what's going on. Like, he had absolutely no clue uh, that that was the Browns football. But neither did Hugh Jackson, neither did Antonio Brown, neither did Ryan Switzer. And, yeah, kudos for the Browns' defense for jumping on the ball, but they could have just picked it up and, and walked it in for a touchdown. They, they ended up uh, missing a field goal on that drive, I believe. So uh, bad looks all around, uh, but, you know, funny. Uh, anyway, Steelers at number eight, getting off a little tangent. Uh, number seven had the Minnesota Vikings coming off a loss. I still like this Vikings team. Their defense is good. They had some injuries. Uh, they had some injuries that play, that are, have been plaguing them. Um, but if you can get that defense healthy, they're one of the best in the league. Kirk Cousins, he's good. I mean, he's been, he's been playing well. He had a couple bonehead mistakes on Sunday Night Football, which people are going to harp about and get on him, but that's just because everyone was watching. If you watch his Vikings team week in and week out, Latavius Murray has been a solid uh, running back, even with the injury to Dalvin Cook. Um and you know Thielen's been doing what he's been doing. Savon Diggs had a had a big game. Um, Kyle Rudolph's a great tight end target. So I think this team just has too many weapons not to find themselves uh, uh, in the mix come January. Number six got the Carolina Panthers five and two. We talked about them. Uh, Cam Newton. You got Norv Turner, the New Orleans coordinator. You got to attribute Newton's success, a lot of his success to Turner. Turner's been putting him in uh, the best spots to succeed. Like I said, they're getting into their playmakers, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, get it into their hands, let them do work. Don't let Cam constantly try to uh, throw the ball down the field. That's not his strength. Run the RPO, run the college-style offense, and you're going to succeed, which they have been doing. It's got them to a 5-2 and two record as of now. Uh, number five, we got the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, they had a bye last week. They also sit at 5-2. and two. Um, Their only losses have been to the Chiefs and the Rams who are arguably the two best teams in the league. So um, Melvin Gordon's been a little banged up, but if he comes back healthy, it's one of the better offenses um, in the league. Phillip Rivers is having a great year this year. Look at the numbers. Uh, he's really flinging it. Um, yeah, charges at number five. Uh, number four, got the New England Patriots. They also had a bye this week. Then uh, they also set at five and two. Um, they figured out all their struggles that they had when, with that one and two start. Um, they finally, not only do they have weapons now, they have some of the better weapons in the league. Julian Edelman paired with Josh Gordon, who's finally learned the offense, finally had some big games. Paired with Gron- a healthy Gronk, who isn't currently healthy, but if he is healthy. Uh, and James White, I mean, that's like a that's a great quartet of guys to have, especially for Tom Brady, who really doesn't need the best weapons to succeed. Um, the defenses look better as of late, but I think that will always be their their main concern. Uh, number f- three, I got the New Orleans Saints coming off that huge win on Monday Night Football. Uh, they slide to either six, six and one, I believe. I think they had a bye already, uh, six and one or seven and one. Don't quote me on it. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, even with Drewby's not playing well, they still pulled off a win. That shows you just how uh, dominant this team has been of late. Like I said, rehash defense has been great. Ingram and Kamara have been great. Um, and you know, Michael Thomas is one of the better receivers in the league. Uh, Drew Brees' favorite target. So Saints at number three. Uh, number two and number one have stayed the same for mostly ever. For, I, for the last 
four weeks, I want to say. These two have been at the top. The Chiefs at two and the Rams at one. The Chiefs um, didn't look great against the Broncos, but didn't look great, and they still got the win. Uh, and it really was never in doubt, even though it did end a touch, as a touchdown game. Uh, Mahomes is doing Mahomes things. He had one errant, one like bad decision that cost them uh, the ball. But other than that, still playing like Patrick Mahomes. Um, and on the Rams side of the ball, they did have a scare against the Packers, and many could argue that they, they should have lost if Montgomery didn't fumble the ball. Um, but, you know, this team is, is still the most talented roster in the league, and they haven't lost a game yet. They're 8-0. So, I mean, it's hard to put a team that's 8-0 anywhere but the top spot. Uh, I, I believe in them. I, I do I, – their vulnerabilities, especially um, with uh, the linebacking – the linebackers and their edge rushers, um, and their def- their defensive backs. Akeem Talib, Marcus Peters haven't been all that healthy, but if they can sure that up, then uh, they're all around by far the most talented team in the league. So, Rams at number one. All right, well that's been another edition of the SQ Sports Podcast. Of course, we will be coming to you on Thursday uh, when me and Q get Q back on the mic. Uh, and we'll be doing our NBA weekly podcast on Thursday. Um, but yeah, it's another another great weekend of sports. Uh, actually, it wasn't. I say that with it wasn't. It wasn't that great of a weekend. It was a pretty good weekend, but uh, but uh, nothing too crazy happened. So uh, if, you, if you stuck it out through the end, like always, I love you. Like always, follow our Instagram at SQ Sports. Follow the Twitter at SQ Undersports. The website sqsports.wordpress.com. Um, yeah. I'll catch you on Thursday. Peace.